0: Our time in Gotham had reached a strange fever pitch of activity. Batman and Robin flitted from one case to another, seemingly at random. Their harried, daring do caused us to wonder, could they tell that they were on the editorial chopping block? Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. More Batman. <laughs> oh, man. This, so, the hardest characters for us to cover really are the ones that go between two series at the same time concurrently or multiple series. We're very lucky that the Showcase Presents series does not also include World's Finest. Oh, yeah. Um, and that World's Finest is its own coverage, or rather, has its own volumes and things like that. And we're we're fortunate that it's just Batman and Detective Comics. I feel like Showcase Presents should just have a Detective Comics one, but it would just be like three issues per volume uh, because of how like hefty those issues were, yeah. be, you know, with all the stories. But regardless, again, we're jumping between series between Batman and Detective Comics. Um, we are covering the year of 1965, which is wonderful. Um, and there's some <laughs> familiar faces here. That uh, we have one we haven't seen in a long time and one that was in uh, back issues that we couldn't get. But everyone will know who that person is when we bring them up in the story. There's also some really weird stories. Mm. Um, Some very, very weird stories. Um, The outsider comes back just because we have to have a Moriarty to this Sherlock. But we're going to go forward. Uh, I know Joanne's looking at the clock for us. Uh, But we're going to start with Batman, number 169, February 1965. Penguin Penguin basically, like, bugs, like, puts a tracker and listening device on Batman to get ideas of crimes he should commit and counter Batman's way of solving them, which is actually a fairly ingenious plan, but it also stipulates that Batman's just sitting around wondering what crimes his villains are going to do, which feels like a stupid thing to do. Um the second story is Batman catches a criminal despite a bunch of bad luck happening to him over the course of the the story and he just kind of perseveres through the bad luck. The Penguin story while very strange because he uses a series of like multiple umbrella gimmicks to get one up on Batman as well as like selling a bunch of umbrellas and giving a bunch of umbrellas out for oh, free yeah. to the public. Um to like have a bunch of gimmicked umbrellas in the public at any given moment for him to utilize um it's it's silly i mean it's it's fine it's very batman 66 it's very tv show batman um it's just the next story is batman sucking at trying to get this guy for a full 12 pages until he eventually just gets him like the juxtaposition between the two is very strange and the concept of that like Batman failing or getting one-upped or uh, dodged or conquered or beaten by a villain is so foreign in today's version of Batman that seeing it as a commonplace thing in these comics is very weird.
1: Before we move on, I want to, I know it's, it's been a, it has been a hot minute since we recorded. Uh, and I just, I want to make sure everyone who is listening sort of is up to, up to where we sort of arrived last time. And you've correct me if I'm misremembering any of the bits of our discussion, but this is pre, uh, this is new look Batman. So mm-hmm. Julius Schwartz comes in and is told, Hey, like reinvigorate the franchise, or we're basically canceling some of these comics. Uh, it is not yet Batman 66, But it's in this weird period of there's no clear identity and any identity it might form in this, check notes, like two year period is going to get utterly overwritten by Batman 66 coming out and being a cultural phenomenon. So this is just this weird, you can't even really call it like a transitional phase because it's not like it's going like between from X to Y. It's just, hey, there was X. Now it's why, and then Z is just going to come along and just throw everything out.
0: (laughs) It's aggressive flailing. (laughs) You know, it's aggressive narrative flailing. It's just trying to find something that appeals to an audience that they don't really understand why um, the audience is not really resonating with this character and just doing stuff. Just doing things to try and hope that one of them you know, gets them a really big reaction. Yeah. Uh, Detective Comics, number 336, February 1965. Batman and Robin fight a witch with extra sensory perception (laughs) powers, with like mental powers, who was hired by the outsider to mess with their senses. Uh, So the witch's magic is actually ESP. And the outsiders behind this... So the witch has superpowers because ESP isn't a real thing. People who are proponents of ESP come fight me in the comments. (laughs) I don't really care. But it's not a real thing. So the outsider is hiring effectively supervillains to go fuck up Batman and Robin because we still don't know anything about this character. They don't have a motivation. We just have that the outsider wants to defeat Batman and Robin for X purpose. Um, But hey, there was a witch, like a full-on broom-riding, cone-hat-wearing witch in this one. And it was really silly. Um, Batman, number 170, March 1965. A guy with uh, getaway gimmicks and skills, foils Batman and Robin with escape plans, but obviously gets arrested. Uh, We've covered a series of characters who are like getaway bandits or getaway gangs that are just people who are really good at having escape plans and this is the latest of them um this one just happens to be in uh, batman uh the second story in this issue batman and robin look into aunt harriet's friend who has mysteriously won a bunch of money and that investigation then turns into a whole different crime investigation as they find out that aunt harriet's friend's former student in, uh, put her name in for a contest because he wanted to give back to her and she won a bunch of money for a jingle that she didn't write aunt harriet's friend doesn't matter What ends up mattering is this weird sort of like mail fraud scam that's going on in the town that Batman and Robin Foil. And again, we still learn nothing about Aunt Harriet. We learn more about her friend and her former student than we do Aunt Harriet. Just that Aunt Harriet talks to people occasionally who happen to win things. Other than that, we don't see Aunt Harriet ever again in this, this next year of comics. Like she never shows up again. That's the most she's involved. Which is such a wasted, wasted moment. Why couldn't it have been Aunt Harriet who won something? Like, she wins a, a vacation. You don't give her money, but she gets a vacation. And it, then we find out the person put her in for it because she used to be, like, a music teacher. And he really cared about her. And would be like, oh, Aunt Harriet's musical. She's really good with her students. And people love her. That would have been characterization of Aunt Harriet instead of this random friend who we never see again. And Aunt Harriet is just a, a narrative device yeah. for this.
1: Aunt Harriet is the gun that stays on the wall.
0: Yeah. She's Chekhov's dustiest gun. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Detective Comics number three thirty-seven, March 19- nineteen sixty-five. A caveman who is frozen in ice is kind of unfrozen, but not terribly unfrozen. Unfrozen enough that he can move around, but still kind of frosty. Uh, he thaws out, and goes on a rampage to defeat a rival caveman that he believes is all these different random people, including Batman. And they they stop him. It's Encino Man, but what if it was violent? It, like,
1: and it. I'm going to say a thing that I think helps evoke what's going on with the like kind of frozen unfro- kind of unfrozen kind of not. It's what if the ice was power armor and he was psychic? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or what if he was armor from X-Men?
1: Yeah, that that's a good comparison.
0: Yeah, he's the uh, the he like for those of you who don't know because you listen to this podcast because you're big DC fans, Armor is a mutant character in the X-Men franchise who can telekinetically or magically or some sort of power version way create a suit of armor around themselves and they fight the caveman has basically like, I want to say a low polygon version of power armor like yeah. Matt suggested made of ice around himself and he beats people up it's very stupid, this, this story is dumb it's a dumb story uh, apparently, the caveman can jump from continent to continent. It was super strong, <laughs> yeah. but somehow Batman. Be- I don't know. It's, it's stupid. Take our word for it. This is dumb. This is the, this is the narrative flailing we're talking about.
1: And I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on the dumbness because I think I I think it's I think it's worth calling out that especially around this era in general, but even in these stories, like you'll hear people talk about psychic stuff as though it was. An, just magic as though it was scientific in a way that's all at least either it's ingrained enough in the public consciousness as a thing that could happen that it feels more scientific than just magic magic or like people are actually like bought in on it yeah no this is the next step in human evolution to psychic powers that what for oh a lot of stories, one of those two things is happening. So, it will be treated as differently than magic. Even though it's... I mean, it's it's just magic with a different power source.
0: Yeah. there's There's a lot of, like, this is an accepted truth that everyone around in the United States knows, and... Man, the 60s were weird. <laughs> like, they're not that long ago, but to consider the fact that, like, what was science fiction then is now reality. Currently, science reality now is just bananas, and the concept that or the concepts that they believed in or perceived to be true.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Detective Comics number three thirty eight, April nineteen sixty five. Bruce gets a chemical sprayed on him as Bruce Wayne at one point that is meant for like wood to treat wood to make it super hard and like resistant to termites and weathering and like damage. And the spray effectively makes him invulnerable for a whole case. And he's just really powerful and can punch holes in walls and stuff like that. Um, that's not how science works, but all right. Uh, <laughs> you would think it would make him super invulnerable. Like he could get shot and not that he's so strong he can punch through walls. Like it didn't make him stronger. It made his made his body less damageable, which wouldn't mean he could punch through. You know, I'm just splitting hairs for no reason um that's what i do that's what i do on this podcast but you, you
1: know what it is it's the super strength and invulnerability version of immortality versus invincibility in dbz
0: yes yes it is that is exactly correct um wow well, that's no that's <laughs> that's exactly what that is i'll take my uh, trophy <laughs> no you get that one that's a good one uh batman number 171 may 1965 the riddler uh, who we have not covered before, um, but he does show up in 1948 in Batman comics. Um, the Riddler gets out of prison. Uh, apparently, in 1948, he was imprisoned and didn't get out for 20 years worth of comics. This is them finally re- like bringing the Riddler back, which I was like, wow, someone got the someone got the the, the initiative to revitalize the Batman comic. And their decision was, what if we brought back a 20-year-old villain? I mean, it works, but wow, that's that's where we were right now in the Batman writer's room, was scraping the bottom of the barrel to find people that they let die for 20 years in jail, in fictional jail. Um, the Riddler gets out, and he helps Batman and Robin capture a gang that he dislikes because he thinks that they're muscling in on his m- motif. Um, and then he returns to a life of crime, and Batman and Robin have to stop him. Think about the Riddler that I enjoy in this all of his, like, gadgets are puzzles. And not, like, puzzle pieces. I mean, like, you know those metallic puzzles that, like, don't come apart very easily or, like, uh, finger trap puzzles and things like that? Those are the things that he uses as tools to defeat people, and I thought that was very clever instead of just question mark shaped bullshit. Um, <laughs> it was fun. It was interesting. This is a version of the character we have I haven't personally really seen... Um, I find it very fun. It's also just, that's it. That's the only time he shows up. Like, same thing with Penguin. He's not coming back after this. The concept that Batman's rogues gallery, which is a huge reason for people to enjoy this character, that people cite for the enjoyment of this character, is still not prevalent for the character after 30 years of him being written at this point in our coverage is astounding to me. Like, the fact that this character is still just beating up gangsters and fighting 'er Mare-dwells, and it hasn't leaned heavily on his supervillains, is bananas when you've got Flash dealing with the rogues and Gorilla Grodd all the time, or Green Lanterns constantly dealing with Sinestro. Everyone else is doing it, and their books are so much more successful. Surely, you guys the five or six writers that are working on this surely one of you have, has just said why don't we find the themed guys and just keep fighting those
1: and and i want to double down on that a little bit because we have seen a phenomenon in the a phenomena in the past of no phenomenon phenomenon is singular uh in the past of a character gets introduced and that character like shows up every couple issues as they're just like oh this works i like this let's keep spring this character in and then sometimes it'll burn out like uh what was the i don't remember the water sprite's name in aquaman but we got Quisp. that wisp yeah we got that for like uh every couple stories for like half a year or something and then drops off and we never see him again until like what 30 years later or something we don't get that with these it even when we do get the supervillains in that I mean, I think in just kind of in general, I I didn't get the impression. I I don't remember any characters really like, oh, this worked. Let's keep doing this thing. It's, it's weird. And some of that might, some of that is probably because we're looking at a shorter time frame because we're looking at Batman and Detective Comics. But it's, it's not just that. It, it is worse than they don't go to the well of the supervillains. It's they're not chasing any lightning and like hitting the same spot multiple times. It's, it's yeah. just
0: weird. This is too many cooks in the kitchen. I-
1: yeah. I have, have uh, too notes many... on all the creatives. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they have too many writers trying to do stuff and it's like pick three or pick two. Just let them do it. Stop doing this. Like even one, one is better, but you can't rely on one of them because they're all doing substitution duty here. I bet the reason that they have so many is because they all had more successful titles that they were all writing, and they couldn't devote time to doing this. Uh, Detective Comics, number 359, May 1965. A gorilla with powers that were given to it by a guy who was trying to get animal powers goes on a rampage. There's no really simple way to describe this story other than a guy creates a machine that gives him the abilities of different animals, and then when he tries to get that from the gorilla it somehow transfers everything to the Gorilla and not him. But it's not Gorilla Grodd. All right. Yeah. Batman number 172, June 1965. A guy with super magnets uses uh, suits of armor to rob a museum. This was kind of interesting, but it was kind of also a long walk. A guy very, very far away was using magnets to manipulate some suits of armor to make it look like they had come alive and were indestructible to steal some things that he wanted. That was interesting, but also like, huh uh and robin solves a crime all on his own in the second story in this batman issue i thought that was really neat it showed that robin is very capable of planning and fighting villains all on his own and doing some uh decent detective work which was kind of nice to see like i would be more interested in seeing Robin's solo adventures kind of like we see with kid flash being secondary stories and flash stories in these batman issues i think that would be kind of fun to get more familiarity with this character um special note Batman has surveillance cameras in the skies around Gotham. Oh, yeah. That's revealed in this issue. They're just like cameras floating on balloons that are transmitting to him. This is the first appearance of Batman's surveillance state that he creates.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It's kind of terrifying and I hate it. Uh, I I understand the argument that like how would he know where crime was if he didn't have all these cameras but I'm also like a single individual shouldn't have access to the entire visuals of the city because what about privacy? But you know, we're eh, we're not we're not there yet, folks. We're not there yet in comics. Uh, Detective Comics number three forty, June nineteen sixty five. The Outsider controls all of the Bat gadgets to try and kill the dynamic duo with the Bat gadgets. So this was interesting. Yeah, just as a premise, I thought this was neat. Um, this is probably the best Outsider plot uh, to date. Was him or her, whomever the outsider is, they uh, ended up hacking into all the Bat gadgets and turning them on their users and trying to kill them with them, like the Batmobile and like the, the stuff in their utility belts and stuff like that. It was really cool, and I actually kind of liked this one.
1: Uh, I'm going to say a thing, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a hot minute since I read it, but, like, coming to life in cartoony, like, cartoony ways like uh, battering like growing wings and flying around yeah. uh, the Batmobile like bucking like a Bronco and it's got the like the distortion of uh, it's not quite the uh, whatever the, the tube style of early early yeah. cartoons but it's very it's very Who Framed Robert Ra- Roger Rabbit
0: yes absolutely um, it was just fun it yeah. was just visually different and neat yeah. Uh, Detective Comics number three forty one, July nineteen sixty five. Joker dresses up as a fa- as famous comedy actors to commit heists and films them uh, to create comedy movies out of the people that he outwits and, and conquers. I know I just mentioned that, like you know, we don't see a lot of Batman and Rogues Gallery villains. We saw the Joker once last, once or twice last year, and now we're seeing him once again this year. I'd like to see two part stories. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see longer, more developed uses of these characters. This is the best Joker story. Yeah, This fits most in line with what the Joker's bit is. Doing something comedy related, trying to fight for the fact that he's the better at something and still doing petty crime. Love this. Love this whole angle. Was a big fan of this. The fact that also the movies were then showed to the public God, and even that Batman and so Robin good. got a laugh out of watching themselves get punked by the Joker dressed up like comedy actors was so fucking funny and i actually really liked that Mm -hmm. um it it just was better it was better than a lot of these other stories uh batman 173 august 1965 a reporter believes he's discovered the dynamic duo's secret identities and he using an x-ray camera tries to find an x-ray camera that shows what their faces are like under their cowls um Using that camera, he tries to sell that information to a guy named Mr. Incognito, who is a Batman villain that never is seen or heard from ever again. And the dynamic duo has to stop the sale from going down and destroy all copies of the pictures that do indeed show their civilian identities. Uh, The second story in this issue, a politician using E-radiation, E, the letter E, to control people and make them do the opposite of good decisions almost kills the dynamic duo. Uh by telling them to keep safe after shooting them with the E-radiation. And of course, because they're going to do the opposite of that, they go to like drown themselves in a lake. Uh, except while being at a rally for this guy, he's all uh, Batman has also been compelled to vote for him. So Batman, in a stunning loophole logic <laughs> thing, effectively <laughs> says, Ah, but I still have to vote for him so I can't kill myself. And rescues Robin and this other scientist that they've been talking to to solve the problem. Uh, and then they stop. The politician and save the day but I was like oh boy okay you guys were really like how am I gonna get out of this (laughs) corner that I've written myself into I know I'll just punch through the wall
1: (laughs) I I thought it was entertaining but it's it's definitely it's it's, funny it's a stretch but yeah
0: it is it is absolutely funny but it is 100% a Scooby Doo solution to this problem (laughs) I was like Okay, that was good, but also like you guys didn't need to even write this this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it definitely a lot of force.
0: It would have been fine or better, I think, had Robin not also have been there, so that Robin could have saved him instead of instead of the loophole. But the loophole was like, ah, yeah, he told Bruce Wayne to do something, but Batman has to. Uh, so the two identities are kind of a uh, dot. Uh, All right, I'll give it to you. I'll give you that one. Detective Comics, number 342, August 1965. One of Robin's friends is in a gang that all dress up like Robin and steal things uh, that then occasionally come across Batman and cause Batman and Robin to look like they're at odds uh, on missions. Robin goes undercover to try and stop this, and Batman's really confused. Batman, the world's greatest detective, doesn't notice that several of the Robins that he's encountered aren't actually Dick Grayson. Those yeah. disguises are really good, you guys. <laughs> Does do you think do you think that
1: years in the future Bruce Wayne just forgets which Robin
0: he's working with? I ooh, I bet you money, yeah, he accidentally says a different Robin's name. Yeah. Oh, and, and it's not It's not a, um, it's not like a I don't care about you thing. It's that one of them might do something like the other Robin and calls him like Tim. Oh,
1: yeah. And, I mean, there's some room for some genuine trauma in there. Like, uh, uh, there was a sweet spot where we could have had him call someone Jason and i don't know like if he hasn't
0: if he hasn't called damien jason at least once that's a that's a missed opportunity yeah
1: oh yeah and, and especially as someone with with psychological damage like that kind of regression it i mean yeah that's gonna happen oh actually here's an interest hmm. interesting in the other direction do you think do you think that damien has ever ca- ever called uh Either either in the period where Bruce Wayne was dead and Dick Grayson was Batman and uh Damien was his Robin, do you think he ever called Dick Grayson like dad or Bat- Batman or Bruce
0: or the other way around? Uh If Grant Morrison was a sadist, they did write that. <laughs> Fair. But, but I don't know if they are. But that sounds like a really sad, psychological, torturous thing that Grant Morrison might write. it um, be good. Yeah. Uh, also, just to, as a side note here, Robin's friends is spurred on in this gang by a guy who operates out of a wrestling gym. Oh, yeah. That 100% breaks kayfabe <laughs> by explaining that wrestling is fake and predetermined so for those of you who don't know (laughs) (laughs) there is a internal uh, code of conduct within wrestling referred to as kayfabe which is pretending like what's happening in the ring is real it's the acting portion of wrestling if you want to make it akin to something else it's like a magician behaving as though the, the trick that they've just shown you is magic even though it could be sleight of hand or what have you. Um, It is in the 60s, at this time of wrestling, there is a fundamental belief that wrestling is real by a large portion of the people who are watching wrestling. That is maintained by kayfabe, which is the practice of acting as if it is real. Someone in the writer's room at DC... I don't, I don't really remember who wrote this issue. 342 knows about kayfabe and just completely blew the lid off of it in such a laissez-faire way that it was like at this point in time you would not have known that. Which says to me, someone whoever wrote this, and that's going to bother me I have to look it up. Uh, John Brew must know wrestlers. Because in the 1960s it was not public knowledge about kayfabe, uh, so that's interesting. Not that other people weren't smart enough to know that it was fixed or or predetermined or whatever you want to call it, but to so blatantly explain that these guys are practicing the the matches ahead of time so that they can hit their cues is like that's a that's a big deal culturally at this point. Not like the whole. I mean, a lot of people watch wrestling. Like a lot of people watch wrestling. And I don't want to say like, oh my god, everyone did. But like, a lot of people did. And this is like saying the Yankees were fixing games. It's, it's weird. It's a weird thing that, st- that struck me. Mainly because I'm a wrestling fan. But anyway, that's a weird digression. <laughs> uh, Batman number 174, September 1965. The last issue we're going to cover. A uh, big game hunter breaks out to the getaway gimmick gang leader and convinces him or rather kidnaps him and coerces him to help him come up with gimmicks that will help the big game hunters men get away from Batman and lead Batman into what he refers to kind of as like a tiger trap so that they can capture Batman and beat him up and have him as a prize. Um, doesn't work surprisingly enough. Um, and, uh, robin's not around for the story because he's doing teen titan stuff much like when robin had his solo adventure batman was doing justice league things so that's kind of a neat call out to acknowledge the other series that are going on at this moment the second story uh in this issue the mystery analysts club of gotham is targeted by a criminal who hypnotizes the members to try and get them to go home where bombs have been planted so that they will die in mysterious circumstances batman is not hypnotized of course And saves all the other members of the club. So that is the end of our coverage for 1965, as well as the amount of coverage we were able to have in the Showcase Presents volume that we had. There were a couple good ones here, I think, that we can both agree on. All in all, the quality has not immensely improved, or improved, rather. But yeah, this is just a smattering of stories. There's not even like the really in-depth detective work that I liked from the last episode that we talked about in a couple issues. It's just kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. These are almost Superman stories with how weird and fantastic they are. There's not an educational one like we saw with the elephant, the elephant storyline. Like it's just weird stuff. And this outsider continuing to show up at random times, like there's no cadence to that. Yeah,
1: um, I guess the the metaphorical kids would say mid. It. I yeah. I had basically the same thing down. Like I didn't feel terribly like I have literally written down not terrible question mark. I didn't hate it question <laughs> mark.
0: Yeah, they're just kind of they're just kind of there. And that's about as sad of a things we can say about them
1: yeah throwing stuff at a wall and not necessarily like looking at what sticks just like throwing at the wall moving on throwing it at the wall
0: right because there's so many different writers yeah they're not they're not sitting down and going like yep this is working oh this is working there there's just too many directions to go yeah here
1: shall i rattle off all the different creatives involved
0: (laughs) yes please do
1: so it's this is just—it's just weird. It's just weird and deeply inconsistent, even within individual uh, series. Uh, the editor is always Julius Schwartz, naturally. But Detective Comics, uh, Gardner Fox does the first five episodes and that, or mm, <laughs> the first five issues, and John Broom writes for the last three. Pencils alternate between Carmine Infantino and Sheldon Moldoff. Uh, Joe Gier Gia Gia. Don't know. Uh is doing inks. For Batman comics, it's even crazier. Uh the writing is a mix of Gardner Fox, John Broom, Bill Finger, Ed Heron, and maybe even a story written by the artist Sheldon maldoff Unclear. Uh, that I'm going by uh what DC Wikia says. Uh I don't know if that's the technical name of it, but that's the one. Uh, pencil and the pencils are more consistently uh, Sheldon Moldoff on Batman. Uh, there's one story with pencils by Joe Gia. Um inks Sid Green and Joe Giella intermittently, and letters seems to be Gaspar Gaspar Saladino. It's there's just a lot. It's a lot of different cooks in the kitchen, and nobody's really used to their strengths. I think I was. I was thinking about it. Carmen Infantino is the person who is the most compelling of everyone involved in this on a creative side. Uh, as a reminder, he is the person who did the the best art for the first couple issues of Silver Age, Green Lantern and Flash and a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's just dynamic and interesting and so much better of a writer than anybody else that they had ghost arting for Bob Kane that he was artist, the
0: fir- by the way, Sorry. You said writer.
1: Ah, you're right. Uh, artist. Uh, so much better than any other uh, artist who they had guest arting for, or ghost arting for Bob Kane, that he's the first one they actually like credit under his own name for the art. But it's so much less than the other stuff we've seen him done. Like, good splash pages, some good panels, but it's like, the comparison I came up with is it feels like seeing him in someone else's band he's not taking the stage he's not in, he's not front and center he's not putting his own like his own style on it he is executing well in a relatively constrained space but we're not seeing like like i don't Uh, i don't think we were seeing like cool like progression shots the ones that i always get so excited about of like oh tantalus one is something's happening and then it gets closer and then it gets closer things like that and we just don't see that um and then you've got uh gardner fox like one of the things i always i always love about gardner fox stuff is when he comes up with like solutions to the challenge of the issue it's it makes sense sometimes like that's that's science all right Yeah, okay, you know what, that works. Uh, And yeah, you got that, but they're not interesting, and everybody else is like bullshit explanations for how the problem gets resolved. There's just nothing in here that gets me excited, with the exception of a few individual stories.
0: I think you're right. I think as much as I like John Broom, his stories here aren't exactly the best. Um, They were... Like, you know, he had a couple of really great ones in the last episode would be covered on those issues. But Infantino is, by and large, the MVP for this series right now. And it's never consistent which one he's on. Like, it's not that he's on all of these. It's not that he's making every artist, every writer look good. It's that It's sparing. And that could definitely contribute to the public perception of the character as well when you see quality shifting so drastically that the sales are going to drop in shift and bend because people are be like, Oh, well the last one was really good, but the next one really sucked. And then it, there's, there is no narrative consistency. There's no artistic consistency. There is no uh, brand consistency. We don't know what kind of character Batman is anymore. It doesn't really matter. He has no, real thematic elements that are tying his stories together. The villains are either costumed people or gorillas or magic cavemen or the outsider or, or, or it's not like Green Lantern, science fiction threats and Sinestro, the Flash, the rogues and scientific bad guys and Gorilla Grodd. Uh, even with Adam Strange, who is largely dealing with different villains each time had recurring villains that had a narrative through line between them. And the narrative through line was ran returning to ran his relationship to Alana. There were things that grounded him in that story that allowed us to get a sense of who that character was so that when weird things happened, it felt out of character with this version of Batman. There is nothing that makes him consistent for us to be like, is this normal? Is this how he is? It's like in Aquaman when he like was physically violent to Aqualad. We are like, where the hell did yeah. that come from? That is completely out of character for him because we have this standardized theming of him as a character that we have that made us go, that was really weird and out of character. Versus Batman, it's like, we don't really get a sense of who he is, who Bruce Wayne is. The most really consistent thing is the, the Alfred Pennyworth Foundation. It's just around. And it's an excuse for Batman to fund things or to have people that he knows who are involved in different things. Everything else is kind of randomized. Again, I keep coming back to the concept of narrative flailing—just doing something, do anything, mm-hmm. get their attention. It's like carnival barking. Don't you want to? Don't you want to read Batman? He's got a caveman in this one. Isn't it fun to read Batman? The Outsiders back this time penguins around it's just saying shit to see whose attention you can grab i think
1: i think the best example of this is the Gardner fox story where there is a reader Semi self insert. There is a character who is referred to as you. You did this. uh, You were there when Batman got I think it was the one where he got like the serum like splashed on him. Right. And just one of the scientists is addressed as by the narrator as though they are the, the reader in the story and there's it does nothing with this it does absolutely nothing with this i don't understand it's interesting it's provocative but it's utterly empty i don't get
0: yeah.
1: it <laughs> the, like the character was, is on screen for minimal amounts of the story and utterly more pretty minimally important to it i don't get it it's interesting but throw shit at a wall
0: there's so many missed opportunities here yeah and it's disappointing do you have uh much else here
1: i do all right so this is going to be a little bit laundry list-ish but uh is isn't it uh so first off uh reminder that i read things in ways that let me see a lot of weird little context bits so those will a lot of things will pull from that for instance what kinds of ads were we seeing at this point uh And at this point in time, we're looking, we're seeing a lot of ads for like model cars, including like little model car kits. Uh, I think there are also some like slot car kind of things, but largely it's wow. Here's a cool like uh, model of the Munsters uh, car. I don't remember what it's called because I never watched that as a kid. But uh, hey, here's it's interesting. They've got Silly Putty ads. Uh, They've got a lot of General Mills cereal ads. A lot of stuff with i mean recognizably those characters and then also like rocky and bullwinkle it's interesting we don't see as much uh as many tootsie roll pops ads though that was absolutely like a staple uh advertiser in dc comics for a while and it's just dropped off (laughs) i've also talked about in the past how there are psa's in these issues uh And that continues, Uh, as always, reminder that these are PSAs for things like the UN and cleaning up and uh, things of that style, things that are like if they ran now would be considered social justice stuff because, hey, they are, uh, which is good. And also uh, what's interesting is now we have passed the point where JFK has been assassinated. And one of the ads is like kind of it's not quite a commemoration, but it's a an exhortation to like live up to the ideals of like the JFK like persona of like, hey, bravery and compassion. Like, hey, these are things that we remember from being modeled by JFK and everybody like all kids saying like, yeah, this is a thing that I aspire to as well. And it's like, okay cool clean up the environment another type of psa yep uh it's worth remembering that detective comics does have a backup running at this point uh elongated man and and i'm really excited to go back and read these elongated man stories because just even looking at the first like page uh, like the the splash lead-in for each of these you just get some wild body horror shit (laughs) like there's one of ralph like squatting down in his kneecap stretching out to hit people it just i'm oh boy <laughs> it's it's exactly as weird and uncomfortable as it sounds it's weird <laughs> but like and uh it's worth noting I, I believe those unlike the batman comics that are running in detective comics i believe these are always penciled by uh carmine infantino so you know if you're gonna put body horror in any penciler's hands <laughs> well good news <laughs>
0: I mean, he has the best understanding of anatomy, yeah. which means he can break all the rules.
1: Yeah, reminder that Carmine Infantino is the person who'll do like sculpted heroes in spandex, and it's just like shit. Okay, no, that's like that's what muscles look like. This is a little bit wild and interesting, uh, and speaks to either a change in how we think about things, or just the the compensation structure of the industry i suppose because they commissioned readers to send in sketches for the header of the letters page because each comic has a letters page in it uh or back at this point they did and they as a prize they gave away the original artwork pages for quote a batman story i don't know if that's an entire page or an entire story i it could be either (laughs) but That feels wild to me, partly because of, hey, the the value of it, and B, like, there's got to be all kinds of intellectual property rules around taking submissions from a contest and using them as your, like, basically your letterhead, I suppose. So there's, A, there's that, but also, my understanding is that nowadays... It's important for a given, like, artist to retain those originals so that they can sell them to supplement the meager amount that they make for doing comics art. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think I remember seeing other things uh, in letter pages that were like, oh, hey, and we sent you some original art for this uh, great letter, things like that. Uh, so, I don't think it's uncommon that they're giving stuff away like this. And it just boggles my mind.
0: Yeah, for for those who aren't familiar, the resale or reselling market of original pages for comics is a big, big thing. And you'll often see that at comic conventions where uh, professionals will be reselling uh, their pages that they worked on for issues that are either colored or uh inked or penciled and that's a big deal. So giving away those is kind of hmm I don't know if you have the ability to do that or what the contracts are like in the 1960s. And to your point again for the person doing the letterhead stuff, that would get DC laughed at now. Yeah, oh yeah. Because it's like no, pay that person. Don't give them art that someone else owns. Pay that person. Give them some form of money or give them a residual or something. That's One, it's not surprising. Two, it's a shame. (laughs) Three, it's just like, oh boy.
1: An interesting note. We've talked in the past about racism in DC Comics, and we don't talk about it a super amount recently uh, because there's just kind of a big absence, (laughs) Uh, which in some ways is probably a positive and in some ways is absolutely a negative. Uh, For instance, uh, there's... The story with Clagg the caveman, he attacks a person who is identified as a Sikh, not like a British officer, a a Sikh, got the turban, uh, and the person is called such by the narration and just looks white, completely white. Uh, Not just like light-skinned from the Indian subcontinent, like full-on looks white. Uh, And that feels like where... Things are these days, not not counting like cutting edge, uh, silver age stories like Green Lantern. You have Thomas, uh, who is explicitly, uh, I, I believe, into it. Uh, and but for the rest of these like older silver age stories, like coming out at the same time but not pu- trying to push things forward, just kind of coming out with comics. You just the way that they have avoided being racist is they just don't. They just don't. They don't go to, quote unquote, exotic places. They don't showcase characters of different ethnicities. The closest you get is every once in a while. You get like uh, a native Amazonian tribe or something like that. And even that's super rare these days.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, in the last episode, we covered an issue that had an uh, African tribe. Oh, yeah. But they were hardly spoken to they were being manipulated by the elephant. That's stuff. right. I
1: forgot about that.
0: We had that. And then, yeah, you're right. These international individuals, it's very, any foreigners we tend to get nowadays are foreign agents. Mm-hmm. They're usually Russians or Germans. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know which I would rather have no <laughs> diversity for fear of being offensive or offensive diversity for the sake of having diversity, not because we need to have it be offensive, but because these people don't know any better and they aren't going to be sensitive to the racist stuff that they're saying. Like as much as I love John Broom, what he does to Thomas Kalmaku in Green Lantern comics is fucking atrocious. And I just, I hate it because people bleed that one, they bleed it into Hal's character being racist when that's not the case so much as the writers are racist and and have given his friend a racist name. And here it's a native, a native African tribe that's hoodwinked by people using magic and or science. Uh, It's not great. None of it's great. Uh, It's all bad. Everything's bad. So maybe just don't do anything. I'd rather you, I'd rather them be, I'd rather them be exclusive to marginalized groups then have them be completely insensitive and try and be inclusive
1: yeah because it's it's not like we got an occasional good character from the when they were still having characters from marginalized or or other ethnicities is maybe even better way to put it because yeah there are stories where they go places it's just it's always so yeah yeah, I think I think you're right. <laughs> I think this is better. <laughs> speaking speaking of terrible things and dumb things. I got I got one to close out on. So and it's just stupid. It's just stupid. It You remember when the picture like the picture was taken that could see through clothing and such and see the person underneath. And that's how they got the person got the picture of of batman's secret identity and robin's secret identity bruce wayne and dick are under in that like that picture still wearing their civilian clothes underneath and i want to be clear it is not the civilian clothes that they would actually be wearing underneath it is separate clothes for instance i i think there's like a tie on uh i, I think bruce wayne is shown with a tie or something to that effect something that you would not wear under the cowl under the uniform it it's just this is what the per it's it's like a hypothetical camera of this is what the person would look like and i hate it it's bad and it's dumb because how would we know what these characters look like by their silhouette if they Weren't wearing the specific clothes. (laughs) What possible way could we have of establishing character other than full-on clothes? It's a mystery.
0: (laughs) I will say, this is something I did notice, and I don't know if I've called it out so much. Carmen Infantino's art of Bruce is probably the most detailed facial version of Bruce that we've seen so far in comics up to this point, and I'm actually really enjoying how he draws Bruce. He looks like a distinct individual. He does not look like Green Lantern. He doesn't look like Barry. He has very specific facial features, and I actually quite like it. All right. Shall we recommend? We shall. Um, I will start. Something I picked up, actually, I want to say in the last 48 hours, is a video game called Sifu. Oh. Uh, It's not recent. I want to say it came out in the last two, three years, but it is a newish game. It's on PS4 and PS5. Uh, I believe it might be on PC, I'm not sure. Um, It is a martial arts beat-em-up game, uh, adventure, RPG, where you play as a character avenging the death of their master, and every time you die, instead of actually dying, your character ages. So the amount of times that you die... So if I die one time, my character goes from 20 to 21. And I have that one death on my score. If I die a second time, I have two deaths, and I age from 21 to 23. So the more times you die, the further and further you age. And you have a link of coins, each coin representing a decade. When you reach 70, if you die one more time, that's the end of the game. And your character actually ages with each decade that they go into. So it's really cool. You have this like really young character and then they get like a beard and a goatee and then their hair gets longer and then their hair gets some gray in it and then their beard is really long and they have a long ponytail. Um, The outfit changes. Uh, The combat is hard to master, but I'm enjoying mastering it. Uh, The art style is really cool. The music's really good. I like the sound design a lot because it's not like bombastic punching, kicking noises. It is the sound of a person punching another person who's wearing a shirt. Instead of just, like, the normal noise that you get of, like, somebody punching something in a Foley room. It is very definitely, like, a forearm blocking a leg. A a person pushing somebody wearing a jacket. It's really nice and kind of muted, but the music adds to it, so it sounds like a real fight. And I actually really am enjoying a lot of the aesthetics of this game. Uh, and liking it so far. And grinding away to... Permanently unlock some skills to get better at certain things. So I highly recommend it. Uh, it's on about thirty to f- uh, forty dollars right now. Um, I think the base game is forty dollars, and it's good. Go ahead and get it. On my end, I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna cheat just a little bit. Uh, so every year, uh, my fiancé and, and I go to the snow for a bit, and because it's cold, we wind up watching a lot of TV in the snow like go out be in snow for a couple hours come back sit in the nice warmth and watch tv uh so we wrapped up uh andor and uh i also got caught up on the new gundam show and first off both yes both go watch those uh the other bit that i found fascinating was thinking about the two in comparison because the new gundam has a lot of perspectives on things it is a lot of specific views on how we should address specific challenges. How should we handle emergent technologies? How should we use them? Who should have control over them? How, what should we be doing to make things as good as possible? And, and, or also has a perspective of like a, a clear philosophical stance of, Hey, revolutionary violence is both necessary and brutal, but it, Is so interested in more exploring things, I think, than saying this is how it should be. Like the Gundam episodes have clear, uh, oh, this is where a character is falling short and needs to uh, get better. Andor feels like it is so, it is more interested in exploring all the facets rather than saying this is how it should be. This is, it doesn't want to say this is how revolutionary violence should look or should be uh what what should be aimed for in a revolution it is more saying this is these are the things that are going to happen and coalition building is necessary but beyond that let's just go through this space and look at everything and reflect on it and i found that like dichotomy between those two shows that i was watching basically like side by side uh to be really fascinating but seriously like go go watch both both absolutely gorgeous shows
0: uh and
1: extremely well written
0: and very fun i've really been enjoying Andor. purely it's probably one of the most thoughtful star wars things written in a long time and i think everything that you're saying is correct about it i i highly uh suggest people go and check it out it is not like anything else yeah. star wars they don't say exists. the Maybe. word skywalker
1: i don't think they say it a single time in that entire show or Jedi. Yeah, yeah, I don't you're right. I don't think they say the word Jedi or lightsaber
0: or the force. I'm so I'm so excited. I just the concept of dealing with the slow death of civilization that under a fascist regime is very interesting. And the trauma and desperation and mounting tension that is built by the crushing of an iron fist is so well represented there on all levels. And I think the nuance with which it handles a character like the uh, security guard guy. yeah is very interesting to show how a how an isolated person whose identity is being good at their job who believes what they're doing is correct because on paper if you describe him and you describe andor you would believe the opposite person is the hero and the villain it is a fascinating way to show how certain fringe individuals who are who are separated from others and isolated join fascist regimes for a sense of purpose and belonging by having the concept of protecting people manipulated into serving a power. And that's a Star Wars show. It's
1: so good.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's it's very worth watching. There's a lot of nuance, a lot of really interesting themes being discussed. And uh, gosh, the there's uh, someone recently broke it down it's in three episode arcs of a single series which i found really interesting and i think has helped the narrative for that show move at a good pace by solving and resolving issues in three in three episode arcs that allow you to feel like things are happening despite the fact that it is a slow burn yeah it is that's a good way to put it
1: is it really does simultaneously feel like everything has enough space to breathe like it has lingering shots it's so, like it takes it actually not even lingering shots necessarily as so much as it just it takes its time and shows things and it lets it all play out but at the same time it's not a slow show at all
0: focus and purpose yeah yeah, that's the right word it is intentional oh i love when things are good and not batman <laughs> Oh, it's true. (laughs) On my tombstone. Uh, All right, folks. This is actually the last of our coverage for Batman for another while. We're going to be moving on to the C's, which means Challenges of the Unknown. It's going to be fun. We're going to see some weird sort of pulp action adventure stuff that might actually make sense for the theme and hopefully be more satisfying. So thank you all very, very much for sticking with us this long. Hopefully you enjoyed those recommendations and we will see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With the Outsider trashing the Batcave and the Joker making clowns of the dynamic duo, we felt that we were one distraction too many for the Caped Crusaders, and headed elsewhere. Perhaps some strange aliens or science fiction fracas would be a nice palate cleanser from all this confusing mess.